What happens when you mix the American sex symbol of the 70s with one of Biff Tannen's lackeys, the writer of Eight Men Out, and an art tour director known for his subtly ironic sense of human relationships? I really don't know, and I've seen this movie twice. In this episode of Portland at the Movies, we take a look at the 1989 Burt Reynolds film, Breaking In. In a world, in a year, in a time, in a city, in a war that isn't his. Every day in New York City, on the Miami Police Force, in the Deep South, in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Aaron, are we doing the right thing? No, doing the wrong thing, kid. We're thieves, remember? Hello and welcome to another episode of Portland at the Movies, where we question some of the questionable movies made in and around Portland. I am one of your hosts, Todd Workhoven. With me, as always, is Mark Middleton. How are you, Mark? I'm really well. And, of course, we have Brian the Unipiper Kid. How are you, Brian? Doing fantastic, Todd. Good, good. good. Uh, We are also now heard on the Fun Employment Radio Network, so uh, welcome to all the new listeners from there. uh, And check out our other episodes at portlandatthemovies.com. Today's movie is... Oh, wait. Before we get to today's movie, actually, today's movie was supposed to be Fatal Revenge, which is this uh, wonderful uh, wonderful VHS that I'm, that I'm holding here that we all got together for. Was that last week that that happened? It seems so long ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think it was two, two weeks, weeks ago. Yeah, okay, two weeks so ago. we so we all because made it was long ago. We all, it was long ago. We all made special plans to come to Marks and watch. Uh, why don't you Why don't you tell the story of of how we got to where we are now? Because it's pretty funny. Right. I think it was uh, the last time we recorded when we watched Free Willy, and we drew the next movie out of the Unipiper's helmet. And we drew Fatal Revenge. And then we started Googling it, I think, right away. Yeah. And then we were like, oh, we might not be able to find this. And uh, I did a little Googling and uh, found out that it's not available on Amazon. Um, it wasn't available even on eBay. I couldn't even tell for certain that it had even ever been released uh, in any <laughs> format. But then I uh, somehow stumbled upon uh, a copy for sale on the German version of eBay, Uh, (laughs) eBay Germany, eBay.de, and uh, this man had like five copies. And uh, his his uh, using Google Translate, his uh, eBay page said that he did not ship internationally. So, (laughs) you know, I felt like we were so close. We have to get this movie. So I I sent him a message and uh, again, trying to use Google Translate, talking to a German seller. And uh, I I was trying to be very polite and and explain the situation, how we needed this movie. And, you know, we were doing a podcast and probably too much detail. And then, like, within two Nine? minutes, I got, like, an instant response, and he was just like, yep, no problem. Oh, that's funny. And I, I bought it, and it was, it was so cheap. Like, seven euros shipped from wow. Germany. And uh, it shows up, and, uh, you, you know, we had and already... it looks every bit as glorious as we were hoping. It's in... The oh, packaging is in German. Yeah. But it's just such a fantastic 80s vibe to it. I mean, it's got, like, Mount Hood and a man falling off a dirt bike, and then... <laughs> The, the the front the top picture on the back the man holding like the four barreled bazooka <laughs> like I don't think uh, we're gonna ever watch a more entertaining movie uh, on this show at least that's that was our expectations based on the the cover so uh, anyways the movie shows up and you, you were being all negative Nancy you were like should we just find another movie let's what other movies can we watch and I'm like no we're gonna find it. And so it, it arrives in the mail, and I sent you guys a picture, and we set a date, and we were we were building it up as like yeah. an, an event. We had um, Mark went out and bought a VCR. I, I got a VCR. <laughs> <laughs> I got a VCR that had an HDMI out, but it turns out that the VCR side of the machine doesn't use the HDMI. Only the DVD side of the machine <laughs> uses the HDMI out. <laughs> so then I uh, had to. I got a conversion cable, got it all plugged in. I got everything working, and we all sit down to watch the movie, and nothing. Nothing. Well, it was a little bit more than nothing. It I think we heard squiggly voices and squeaky audio, and, and kind of like when you no didn't get HBO signal. as a kid yeah. in the '80s, and it was all scrambled. Right. Uh, so, so it was in PAL format, yes. which is the European VHS format. The Americans use NTSC, but we got the PAL format. And so we're unable to watch it. <sighs> so, it was a big bummer. It and was. So, yeah. So I found a hippie uh, on the other side of Portland that does. Uh, he has a little garage uh, office and uh, 
and I took it over to him and um, uh, and he converted it to a DVD. Nice. And so we have, have a you, DVD. Have you tested to see if it I indeed? Have. Okay. Uh, the DVD works. I've watched. Uh, I've <gasps> I've watched the movie uh, <gasps> while I have taken notes and other other like it was playing while I was doing other things. Okay. Let's say it that way. Okay. Uh, because it is in German, a hundred percent in German, <laughs> dubbed in German. It's uh, be fantastic. And so, so it's filmed with American actors in Portland, Oregon. And then dubbed into German. Have they taken the American voices completely out? Yes. Or is it? Okay. okay. Yeah. So there's no chance. There's no subtitles. There's no anything oh else. My there's gosh. no clues otherwise. That's amazing. And, uh, and so we have that. We have that. Yeah. So that will be an <laughs> upcoming, next, probably the next episode yes. of Portland at the Movies. So, oh, that's very, so that's very exciting. Uh, this movie, so yeah, so because we couldn't watch that, we're like, we were kind of panicking, you know, let's pick another movie from our list. There was nothing that was really available or streaming or we couldn't find It's hard anything. to find a Portland film at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're, you, you settle in at home with your Netflix and you're like, I want to watch a Portland movie tonight. There are not a lot to choose from. And so we, we found, I think we all were just Googling and like looking on Netflix and Hulu and everywhere. And we found Breaking In, which was completely free on YouTube. Breaking In. Breaking In, the 1989 Burt Reynolds. Classic. Classic, of course. Now, before we get into it, before I hand it over to you, Brian, this, when we when we watched it that afternoon, we all were kind of bummed out because we couldn't watch Fatal Revenge. And we, we all universally kind of loathed it. And yeah. we're kind of like, how are we going to make a podcast out of it that nothing happens in the movie? And, and so we kind of went our separate ways. And I think maybe independently, we all like kind of Googled about it. And we found almost a universal acceptance of the and like thumbs Praise. up for this movie. Praise S- for this Siskel movie. and Ebert both agreed and loved it. Like, they did. Rolling brought- Stone. Peter Travers at Rolling Stone. And like <sighs> uh, consumers like at, at Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 89%. 89. Yes. <laughs> I know. And all of the reviews are good. <laughs> mentioned the subtle irony of the whatever. And that's why I mentioned in the opening the the, the two auteurs that did it were known for like smaller independent films. And so I'm not quite sure what's going on. The only things I piece together is that everyone, all the reviews mentioned that, Oh, Burt Reynolds, it's his comeback. Yeah, Bert, yeah. Burt Reynolds is fine. So after, you know, he does deliverance in the seventies, he almost blows his career in the late seventies by doing that spread for cosmopolitan where he's almost naked, but he's on a bearskin rug. Um, which was a huge controversy and it really, really like almost destroyed his career. Uh, yeah, so you can Google that, which is pretty funny because it's just vintage. Be right I know, B- <laughs> BRB. I'll be Googling Burt Reynolds naked on a bear rug. Um, and then and then come uh, Smoking the Bandit and those type of, and it, it sounded like from all the reviews that he was being Burt Reynolds in his movie as opposed to acting. He was on the yeah. talk show circuits and I think kind of like the Jack Nicholson of his time where he was just being Jack Nicholson all the time except Burt Reynolds. So it sounded like this movie was like, oh, he's finally playing against type and acting again. It was his 68 comeback special. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Before the fat Elvis stage. Because, <laughs> I mean, I remember the same thing being said around when he was in Boogie Nights where it was like, oh, Burt Reynolds is playing against type. He's playing a more, you know, a less, a more controlled character and, and this and that. So that was kind of the only thing i mean so i was gonna say once you take us through this movie but there's not like a whole lot to take us through so i have my own theory about why it it got uh such praise at the time i think it was a little bit ahead of the curve in what it was trying to do and it was something that i think uh i listened to the siskel and ebert review and they mentioned that it was a quirky independent film and i think it was trying to be a quirky independent film before that was really a A genre yeah and so people saw this movie and it wasn't what they were expecting and they were kind of like huh that's different but now we've come so far past that and and, you know we we have such different expectations from something that's supposed to be a quirky and you know what i actually had thought that same thing because usually the first thing of anything is not as good as what it ends up being right and i was like well maybe this is one of those situations where they were because i mean 89 we're almost in the 90s where 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 those things kind of came out of the woodwork and i was like maybe burt reynolds playing against type in a thing that kind of didn't exist by these you know whatever but that's my 
theory. But does this movie hold up? <laughs> I wrote that down. And <laughs> I wrote. That's a great question. I wrote, who is this movie made for? <laughs> was one of my overview questions. <laughs> so, yeah, it stars Burt Reynolds and um, and uh, Casey Semezko is his name. He was in Young Guns 2. He was one of the bullies in the Back to the Future series, um, in Back to the Future 1 and 2. And... Um, he was in something else. Yeah, he was. Uh, there's another organ connection here. He was uh, one of the bullies in Stand by Me. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Right. Okay. So yeah. he was, yeah, kind of in the River Phoenix area of, of up and coming stars that I guess just never really kept rising after. Because it, the whole time, I kept thinking that he looked like everyone else. He looked like exactly like Johnny Galecki, the guy from Roseanne and The Big Bang Theory. He looked like Balthazar Getty, who was another one of those at the time '90s rising stars. He looked like Polly Shore, and then he acted like Michael J. Fox. If if you close your eyes, it's Michael J. Fox. Yeah, the, his voice, his inflections, his his cadence, like, cadence is all. He he just Horrible. studied Michael J. Fox <laughs> over and just. <laughs> Come on, Doc. The Michael, yeah, the Michael J. Fox school of stammering acting. <laughs> Why don't we start with the best part about this movie okay. and talk about uh, how it relates to Portland yes. and how Portland gets portrayed. Um, I think it's a first for us. This is the uh, first movie where it's both filmed in Portland and it's actually set in Portland. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of neat. Um, and uh, I, overall, I thought Portland came off uh, really well. It felt like a real Portland. They weren't making it up to be a bigger city like True. we saw in The Hunted, for instance. Um, it, it, it just was happened to be set in Portland and let's, uh, use it how, how it, how it looks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, there are some kind of milestone moments in the film, some set pieces where it really shows off the city. Um, let's see. My notes say that the, uh, first, oh, so Burt Reynolds, um, his house, he chooses to live, uh, close to the airport. Um, and it, it does feel like, um, they've picked a house somewhere probably in north portland at the time there's these small row houses mm-hmm. um and then the, they have airplanes flying right overhead right ten yeah right. Ten, 10 feet above yeah. their house <laughs> <laughs> well because yeah and and we'll get into it i guess later but they he uses that sound the sound of the airplanes to cover up some of his shenanigans yeah I guess we'll say blowing up blowing safes. up safes yeah um do we want to display some images of these as we talk about them sure and while we do that i'll just kind of give you a quick a quick overview burt reynolds plays a safe an aging safe cracker and casey Semezco plays uh a, a young kid that that teams up with burt to learn the safe cracking trade on paper i guess you would call it a buddy comedy i guess i would call it a love story between an older man and a child <laughs> But we can also go with yours. Well, Burt Reynolds would have some choice words about yeah, that so assessment. I'm, that. I'm not queer. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll 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 get to that in a little bit. But so I think the next image. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Oh, that initial. Go back to that initial. So that is the. And I don't know if you can see that behind behind Mark, but that's the font that all of the rest of the credits are in, and the size, and it it kind of summed up this movie how little effort there was behind the idea they're like oh what if we had this idea and then like oh that they never like finished it they wrote it down on a napkin and then when they got to the set they were like oh crap we wrote this on a napkin but that's all so we'll just wing it and that kind of doing that in the aerial font or whatever (laughs) whatever generic microsoft word font that came up kind of cracked okay so if we're going to talk about the beginning of the movie let's uh take one step back the very first scene um I had a question before we get into talking about the movie. How long do you think this movie was? Oh boy. Uh, I I feel like it it was longer than we we think it is. I I think it's uh, an hour and forty five minutes. I'll say the same thing around there. I it felt however long it was watching it like going back to review it today i i was certain it was two hours over just over two hours it was 90 minutes is that it that's it it is straight up 90 minutes wow that is a long because at one point last night when i was watching it again because i think we all watched it we're like well after we saw the reviews we're like well maybe we all missed something yeah, maybe we, we were in a bad mood that. we weren't we weren't getting it or whatever nope and so we all said 
and watched and I had I put it on pause toward the end needing to take a break because I just felt like I was sitting for a long time and I was like there is a half hour left of this movie and it just felt so long I think if I the only way to revisit it at this point would be to travel back to 1989 and try watching it in 1989 and see if it's any better because <laughs> maybe that context will bleed into us and right. make it make it better talk to Marty McFly there yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, the, the opening scene, I think they were trying to set up the rest of the movie because it was like a, a heist where we are introduced to both of the characters, Burt Reynolds and uh, the kid, and they meet and they're both breaking into the same house. And it's like, ha ha. <laughs> um, but if you were just going on that one initial scene, I mean, what kind of movie would you even say it was at that point? The tone of it, and and I'll play it, I'll play it here. The entire movie, uh, starting with this opening scene, is this generic, terrible, wacky 80s movie. No matter what the scene is, and I'll, I'll play some here. I know the city. Oh, that's just... It's like this mildly wacky, but upbeat, but like pretending... It makes you feel like you're watching something happen, but you're not really watching anything happen. It's comedy movie music. I, I think I said it sounds like we're watching Captain Ron. <laughs> yeah, it, and I think that's exactly what it is. Is is I think they were like, I liked the music in that. Let's use something that sounds exactly like that. Without any thought to whether it was what was appropriate or would work for the movie. Right, and you're exactly right. This music tells me it's a comedy. Yeah. So maybe that was part of the, the disassociation. Was it sounding like a comedy, but it right. not really? And then I think the first scene was trying to build it up as if it's a comedy. Um, because, you know, you there's the joke that, oh, they're both breaking into the same house. Ha ha, that's going to be the setup and go into this. It's a jarring juxtaposition when you get to that music and then you see the font and it's just like breaking in. Yeah. Huh. I guess. Yeah. Hey, we need a font. Oh, Ariel's the first one that comes up. We're introduced to the characters and their individual motivations. So I was thinking about the independent, quirky, independent movie tropes. And all characters in those movies have to have, like, defining characteristics that make them unique. Um, and in this movie, we learned that the kid, uh, Mike is his name, uh, Casey Samesco. Uh, we learned that he just enjoys breaking into things. Um, not steal. Uh, he, he doesn't rob. He just breaks into people's houses and eats their food. And short sheets the bed. And short sheets <laughs> the short bed. Sheets that, the you bag. didn't know. That's the second time probably in the last six months that, that I ran across somebody that wasn't sure what short sheeting the bed is. And it's that, in case anyone else doesn't know, it's when you tuck the, you take their sheet and you tuck the top in and then kind of fold it in half to make it look like the bed is made and you get in the bed, but you can't put your legs all the way out. Ha ha. It's like an old, old timey camp. Are kids still doing that? I, I, yes. They're all about short sheeting the bed and playing with hoops and sticks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then of course, Burt Reynolds is, is into the breaking in for the stealing of money purposes. Um, but we also learned that uh, he has the uh, character quirk that he is a sculptor, and, and and he has a limp for some reason. He has a limp for some reason. He, that was that ever talked about or explained or I don't even think it was mentioned. Now that you I ask, but it was it, it was, was noticeable. It was written on the cocktail napkin. I think it was just supposed like to make note that he was aging, seasoned. Yes, yeah. Or Burt Reynolds just happened to have happened a, a, to have a limp, limp during filming, which is equally likely. <laughs> <laughs> so they took. Well, we can go back to um, our our location. Our the, now that we kind of have a general more of a setup, but we have Burt Reynolds' house. I think was that next. There we go. It's Burt Reynolds' house where they make the nitroglycerin in the basement. That's right. That's what Burt Reynolds right. does. So you think this is somewhere north north Portland? You're guessing because they were meaning for it to be by the airport. Yeah, it feels like Portland to me. Yeah. Um, next, the very next scene, so that they, uh, they, they, uh, end up getting together and Burt Reynolds realizes that he's getting old and he, things could go maybe a little bit smoother if he has a partner in crime. So he, uh, calls, um, Mike back. It's like, Hey, uh, help me. Uh, and they get together and Burt Reynolds 
tests them out and gives them the chance to help them on a on a heist. Right. Um, and then they go to uh, the food, the the fruit market. Yes, which is Corno's. Corno's. Corno's fruit. Corno's. Yes. I looked, where did you mark you looked it up when yeah so i remember corno's being here uh like it was taken sticker. out in 2005 is when uh okay. corno's was was taken out so as you are crossing uh it, going from grand to the morrison bridge mm-hmm. there's a open area right right before you look out and see like the um is that with a bike yeah, the, the, bike the bicycles and... are right there. And so Cornos used to be right in that field right now. Right now it's a like parking lot and, and homeless homeless camp. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. Oh, is that? Yeah. So that's, is that the, like in the, not in the middle of like where you, tw- tr- you, uh, not turn around to go on, but on the, the other side okay. of the Morris of Morrison. Fire. Okay. Okay. Can that's we get funny. a picture of that, Mark? I will. Yes. It was a pretty famous facade on that building with the big, the big, the, Big pieces of vegetables yeah. and fruit. Yeah. So it must have been like two blocks away from Sheridan's, which looks like uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was uh, two blocks south, which okay. I guess maybe uh, gave uh, rise to the term "produce row." Uh, yeah, uh, both Sheridan's and all that were part of produce row. Right produce there. row. Continue naming things after what is demolished in order to build I know. them. <laughs> things used to look different around Portland. Well, that was interesting too because um there's a lot of exterior shots in what is now the Pearl District. Um it, but they back Completely then it was just, unrecognizable. Yeah, just the where the one thing I didn't I don't know if you pulled a screenshot of it. Um they were walking down the street in north um in northwest Portland and behind them it there was the building that had the triangle on top of it that looked like it reminded me of the building in San Francisco, you know that that oh. is but there's a huge building right in the middle of it all that had like looked like a giant, not a church one, but it was really interesting. And it, I was reading a blog post this morning from uh, 2006, shortly after the building was demolished, and it was someone lamenting the loss of a Portland landmark and yeah. how things are changing. And oh, they're probably going to demolish it to build a condo for all these Californians. Yeah, and just funny that was over 10 years ago. People were saying that and oh, they yeah. saw it all coming. Yeah. Um, okay, so they uh, they end up robbing Cornos, so we get a lot of uh, screen time there. Um, they they break into Cornos and now they break they so they go to the roof of this building and they're gonna break in and none of this whole setup where they go just... inside to rob Cornos makes any sense. They break in by drilling a hole in the roof and then they do this thing where they put the umbrella through put an umbrella through and then in when the umbrellas through the hole and inside the building, they open it up so that none of the stuff that they to catch the debris, to catch the debris that falls out and they sneak, which is kind of interesting. And it was like, Oh, that's cool. Cause then you like this whole movie sets itself up. Like it's going to be ocean on oceans 11. Like, right. like the things that they do to rob these places are going to be unique and interesting, but they never are like that setup is kind of cool. And then they get into, they drop down into Corno's and there's a Doberman pincher there. That's fine. There's nothing. Never barks. Never does anything. No. Falls them around. Is their friend. And they make jokes about it. And too. at one point they say, "Are there two of them?" Because they're. And I rewound it like three times. There were two Dobermans there, acting as watchdogs. That never once did, did they make any, anything, any noise at all. They just walked up to him. So the, it was like it was setting itself up to be interesting again, and then it just wasn't. <laughs> so that's the problem with uh, this entire movie. For a movie that is a heist movie, and I think they pull off maybe four or five heists throughout the course of the film, not once did you ever feel that they were in danger of getting caught. There is no tension no, in this movie nothing. at all. Even spoilers at the end when, um, well, I won't spoil it yet. There, even the thing that's like it should be the big tension is not because it turns out fine. It's like he likes he likes being in prison. Yeah, he's okay with it. It's like what? This, there is no tension at all. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, I read uh, a review on IMDb today that said uh, great caper flick for men who like caper flicks, <laughs> and I'm like, great caper flick for grandma. Yeah, seriously, because and I think Brian, uh, our friend Brian Turner, who is here, when we disappointedly watched this the first time when it was done. He said. This is the movie that plays in the background of other movies, which is perfect because it always sort of looked and sounded like there was something happening, but there never really was. So you weren't really missing it if you weren't watching it. 
Yeah, it's at, uh, at one point I just started writing it because like we were all so bored. At one point I looked over and Mark was just Googling different things and I started writing that down. He he researched the Cornos produce store and then he Googled, why is water vital to life? <laughs> I don't know. You were bored and started Googling things while you we were watching the movie. If you want to find out, listen to this week's episode of the Mark and Todd cast. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the other thing I couldn't figure out about the the when they're robbing cornos, which is kind of fun to say, robbing cornos, is that they're setting uh, P.S. Burt Reynolds knows how to make nitroglycerin in his house by using ice water somehow. I couldn't quite figure out the Mark. Do you know the science on? No. Okay. But you you make it in condoms apparently. I, okay. Okay. <laughs> what happens to I, that condom? I, I ain't queer. <laughs> Kid. Now we're all talking Kid. about like five different things. So Burt Reynolds <laughs> is showing Casey Samesco, not Johnny, Gal- the not Johnny Galecki guy, how to make nitroglycerin. And he's got some sort of bowl of ice and he's stirring this bowl of ice. And then he starts talking about the best ways to to say or to handle the nitroglycerin safely. Keep it. Same temperature. Yeah. And so he pulls out a com- Burt Reynolds after this movie, like I said, is already being set up between a, like a romantic comedy between an old man and a child takes out this condom and starts unrolling it and then like puts the nitroglycerin into the condom talks about how, oh, you know, you keep it the stable body temperature and like puts it in his front uh, shirt pocket. And we we never see that he has nitroglycerin later, not in a condom. It's in something else. It's like a gel. (laughs) Where does it go? What does he do with it? And he makes, it's just, this whole movie is all ideas that just forget to be finished like that. Oh, that was, but yeah, that was, but so they, they blow up the case in Corno, the, 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 um, safe, the safe, thank you, in Corno's. But then Casey Semesco goes back to the roof holding this big long string that he keeps seeing if it's tight what was happening all i can speculate is that that string you pull on it to detonate the uh nitroglycerin but burt reynolds is still inside right next to it yes he is so either he pulled it and burt reynolds was next to the explosion if if that was the case why couldn't burt reynolds just have pulled the string himself right because it seems unrelated because he's up on the roof and you hear two explosions from burt reynolds who is just everywhere taking an axe to everything. It, it comes back. That's one idea they carry on is the string. It comes Weird. back. I, I couldn't figure that out. No. Was it a, well, it wasn't a fuse because he never lit it anyway. So they robbed the, yeah, they robbed the cornos. They get away from cornos. Yep. Uh, and then we go to uh, another Portland location, Portland Meadows. Um, yes. Where we see no horses. The horse track with no horses. <laughs> Uh, but that scene was important because we, we learned that uh, Burt Reynolds, what he does with his money, um, he steals a lot more than he needs, and uh, the rest of it he gambles away. Yeah, and he th- this whole time he's being set up as like a fairly like down-to-earth, like he's not buying, like you said, buying expensive things with all this money. He's just like, it's just like a job. He'll take enough for the year, or whatever, and, and then he has go a small golfing. house. Out yeah, by the airport. Yeah, nothing lavish. And do we think he's an artist for real, or was that just a cover? I think he was. I mean, probably I guess an they, they never, they never resolved that. Like, he must be an artist for real. Sculptor, right? He just had those those sculptures that made out of springs that make noise every time you touch him, going on and on and on and on in the background. There's that one scene where. They uh, hit the spring and it made noise. I think for a full minute and a half. The rest of the scene, it was just it was a normal scene. But then in the background was 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 that the one between him and Burt Reynolds or him and the prostitute? Either one. Because yeah, the both of them had a like thing on the end of a spring squeaking in the background. It was distracting to not a comedic effect. (laughs) Exactly. Because I was like, well, maybe I like kept trying to find jokes in it because like you said, the music made me think that this was a comedy, and. This uh, we're not quite to the first joke yet, so I'll, I'll wait for that. <laughs> the first joke, <laughs> the first joke of the movie. So we're forty-five minutes in, and we're, we're just to the first in. joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're introduced to some new characters. I think in the next scene, uh, we see what Burt Reynolds does uh, for fun. Um, oh, and, th- and then that's the scene that uh, Mark keeps quoting. <laughs> I ain't queer, kid. I ain't queer. So, yeah, I'm trying to find it here. That's what I've been trying to scan for. It. You got a girl? Oh, no. 
No, I mean, you know, I've only been town a couple of months. So. Just as well. For those of you listening, that is not Michael J. Fox. Straight Jane, and pretty soon you're answering a lot of stupid questions. Oh, uh, it's a long trip back on that bus. You want to sack out here? You can't. Uh, nah, you know, I, just, I really don't want to get home. I ain't queer. But now that you are, I did not realize <laughs> that he said you can sack out here right before he said sack that. Out here. But yeah, that was at, that was like no homo, no homo. You can, <laughs> right. you can stay on my couch. It was so out of nowhere, especially since, like I said, romantic comedy. I wonder if that was Burt Reynolds' idea to add that into the script. He's oh, like, the only I, way I'm reading this. I bet anything. That's I ain't gonna say this. I ain't no homo. <laughs> I ain't no queer. And he probably didn't tell Casey Zemeckis that he was going to say that, yeah. and then that was his whoa, whoa, actual whoa, whoa, reaction. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that. Settle down. Jeez, you old creep. <laughs> hey, Doc. Hey, Doc. Uh, yeah, that was that was crazy. Uh, okay, so the setup for the next heist, uh, I guess we'll go heist by heist. Uh, this one, they... they uh, send uh mike in undercover to faith house northwest it's like a charity organization uh, you okay mark <laughs> some of our some of our water <laughs> thinking about uh burt reynolds uh, sacking up um so they, they uh mike goes in uh undercover uh, posing as uh someone in need and he goes into this charity um where they suspect uh They've been collecting uh, money, and they have a stockpile of money somewhere in the house. And so he's looking for it, and he ends up finding a safe in the basement amongst all of the um, prayer candles. Is that what those were? I guess. It was really – I mean, the YouTube quality was not great on this movie. And I couldn't figure out if it was like honey or candles or – I think it's candles because okay. later one of the um, workers in the house says something uh, when they, they come back to rob the safe. Um, they pose as exterminators. Um, and they go into the basement with this giant contraption that uh, they're going to spray the house with. But the, but they... how come the people of the church didn't recognize Casey Semesco, even though he had been there before? Because, Todd, he put his hand over his face while he was walking into the house. Oh, and that wasn't the only thing. It could have been his giant fake mustache that he was also <laughs> wearing. <laughs> like the worst dollar store fake mustache that he had on his face. It's a comedy. <laughs> Not an act. I wouldn't count that as an actual joke, but it was it was comedy, perhaps. So they they go into the basement, and then uh, I think one of the workers of the house says, "Oh, you're not gonna um, use that stuff down there. Or we've got candles down there. Is it gonna mess up the wax?" Oh, that's right. Yeah. And he said, "Oh no, but it's it makes it hard to breathe. So shut the Get out basement here. door yeah. or whatever." Okay. So they they do pick up the safe and put it in the exterminator contraption, and then haul it out. Um. Oh, so we've already we passed actually two actual jokes. Oh, so the one so after we you kind of mentioned it before they uh, Burt Reynolds hires two hookers to go out with him. It seems like Burt Reynolds knows one of them off and on or something like that. And but they go on a double date, blah blah blah. They have the terrible restaurant scene that leads nowhere. Except, oh wait, no, they have dinner at that restaurant, and then Burt Reynolds invites him into the bathroom to do exercises on the sink. Oh. And to like do that in front of Mikey, he's like, "Come to the bathroom with me. I'm gonna do some push-ups or whatever these are on the sink." It was. Just, it was I, I have no idea. Was, right? Was, what was, was that about? I'm not was, queer. He was limbering up for the uh, physical activity that was to come. I or, guess, but but uh, as um, so they get home after dinner or whatever, and Burt Reynolds and and his girl go to their room and and leaves Casey Semesco and his girl in the living room and says, "You know, you guys are welcome to stay here." Uh, grope around until you fi- if you need anything grope around until you find it or whatever and I was like alright there was a joke there I see what you did that and the um, after when Mikey stays at the church overnight he stays there um, to kind of sc- to scope the place out before they rob it and they do this scene where he's going to sleep and they do the goodnight Waltons bit do you remember right? that yeah goodnight <laughs> Is, is something coming right there. I'm so sorry. Is there a doctor in the house? Seriously. <laughs> There's Dr. Giggles over there. 
But yeah, they kept doing like, good night, Steve. I'm not Steve. I'm Alex. Oh, good night, Alex. I'm not Alex. They did this whole little tiny bit in that thing. Um, They get the safe back from the Faith House. They get the money out. And then they're watching the news. And they uh, are watching a news report about the heist that they just um, conducted. And that's when uh, Mike starts um, regretting what he did. Um, so I think that was supposed to be character development. Right. Well, because we get my favorite line of the movie after they're watching the news report and they're like, and they can't build the homeless shelter like they had planned. You know, here's a flying a water skiing squirrel or whatever the news was doing. Mikey looks kind of a little despondent and says, it must be really tough to be homeless. <laughs> That was her big character development and, and observation of the world. It must be really tough to be homeless. It's about piercing insight, Mikey. <laughs> and then Burt Reynolds tells him to uh, get over it. It's not, you're not robbing people, you're robbing places. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so Mike has a hang up on the hooker that he went home with. Um, he, he really likes her like girlfriend and doesn't really get that she's a hooker yeah and still drives her to her quote-unquote work which she's oddly proud of because he's like well i can you know i have enough money for both of us and she's like i need to work on my own else i won't feel proud of myself as she goes to be a hooker (laughs) that he's driving her to that just didn't make any sense at all no um but then he he sees her at uh fuller's cafe portland yeah uh, yeah yeah um portland classic and that was down the street. Oh, there we go. Oh, there it is. Looks like um, what is that? Bull- not Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Is that that one painting? With yeah. The, or the, the Nighthawks. Uh, yeah. Uh, What's Boulevard of Broken Dreams other than a Green Day album? Green Day. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> that didn't make any sense at all. Nighthawks. Uh, yeah, it's a cool looking diner. It's still there. You can uh, yeah. go go eat there. Go eat at and this Daryl Hannah lookalike. She plays. Casey Semexico's hooker girlfriend. Hooker girlfriend, yes. Who goes on a wig shopping spree with all his money. He takes her to buy wigs and then he... Does he buy her car or is he buying himself a car? He wants to buy himself the little convertible thing, but she talks him into building, buying that like huge Eldorado. Pimp mobile. <laughs> the pimp mobile. As the guy said, this that ain't no white man's car, <laughs> is what his comment was. Uh, yeah, so she's blowing all his money. And he knows that she's a prostitute, right? When does he find out? I mean, I th- think he knows, but he just, he's so he's naive. Smi- he's that, smitten. Yeah, and he and he tell, he eventually tells her to, like, you got to choose between uh, me, you're going home with me, or you're going on the streets. And then she chooses the streets, <laughs> and then we don't see her the rest of the movie. <laughs> there you go. Done. <laughs> I forgot that was her exit from the movies. I will live on the streets and die a prostitute and instead then, of. This is like halfway through the movie, and then we never see her again. Remember, folks, this wow. is a quirky independent uh... film. So quirky, you don't see those characters anymore. <laughs> uh, but uh, right before her departure, the last thing they do together um, is how, how do we want to approach the scene, Todd? <sighs> I don't know. I Should we spring it on people? Because that's how the movie happens. So they go on their little shopping spree or whatever. It's, it's supposed to be this cute little like pretty woman type montage of them buying things. And they get the big car or whatever. And then they have this fight. And let's see. Do I know when that is in the I movie? I think we do want to just spring it on people. Okay. So they get home after their date. And sh- they're sitting on the bed. And oh, this is after... After she says a joke, too, I wrote down there's another joke here. So her uh, one of the running jokes throughout the movie is that she has different colored condoms. And like um, there's one of her comments was and I I wrote it down somewhere, but um, uh, get a blue one. I think I might be able to start be telling a difference, difference, which is horrifying. So she's got like this. And so they're they're looking for that. And he picks up her. Uh, journal that's that's next to the bed and she's like oh no you know ha don't don't read my journal and she grabs it she's like I'll read you a poem and she reads this I I know I wrote this one I could have been thinking about you and you you know when I wrote it okay but I didn't know you yet okay so let's hear it 
It's called, um, What Would I Do? What would I do with your balls? Were they mine? Would I hang them by their short hairs from my long painted nails and crack a grin as they dropped spot spot on the floor? No, I wouldn't do that with your balls. Were they mine? But I'd put them instead in some sort of shrine. I'd fondle them daily, but keep them in line and give them a licking from time to time. Yes, that's what I'd do with your balls. Were they mine? <laughs> Out of nowhere. We we talked about how we wanted and, to And to nowhere. Like it's it's just this random yeah. blip in in there's no it, poetry is never spoken of again, nor are his balls. <clears throat> It is just so out of place. We don't really know anything about her character other than she's a hooker. Right. Right. We, yeah. We don't care about her. We don't like there's no. Yeah. It's, it. It. And that kind of summed up this whole movie is that it's just one or two jarring things out of nowhere that don't add up to anything. Like that the, being the writer was dared the, to the, put that like, I bet you can't get. Uh, <laughs> this terrible balls poem that we wrote in fourth grade, but you can't get this in a movie, Mister Eight Men Out. Right. Uh, Again, I think we're operating under the 1989 definition of quirky here. Quirky, but is th- that doesn't even feel like quirky to me? I mean, that does it? <laughs> is it? Do I need to recalibrate no. my my quirky? I. I, I, I have nothing on, on that. Like, <laughs> you know, maybe uh, it was edgy at the time. Yeah. Or... It's just, yeah, everything about that was just just <laughs> repellent on every level. So then, yeah. What happens next? What happens next? They go golfing and Bert, Bert Reynolds and, and Casey Zemesco go golfing and they, they start yelling at each other and they more or less break up. They're not going to work together anymore. Then Casey Zemesco does, starts trying to do uh, burglar jobs on his own. There's the bowling alley scene where they comically turn, hits the wrong button and turns on all the machines or whatever. And he tries, that's when he buys um, acetylene at what looks like a grocery store that they fill up at the counter for him. That was a joke. Uh, there was a joke in that scene. Because, was it? Uh, he's trying to be all subtle with this um, equipment that he would be using to um, rob places. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's it's like, uh, you know, can I get a price check on the tampons? <laughs> but in this case, it's like uh, she speaks on on the speaker. Can we can we get a fill on the uh, yeah, acetylene? Yeah, <laughs> so he yeah he gets that stuff and tries to uh, um, torch into the safe from a bowling alley, and he torches all that money. Um, and oh, he and he buys the he buys a really expensive apartment that I think are those if you're by the Keller Auditorium and you see those uh, high rise buildings that are kind of rounded. I think it's one of those because it was a rounded. Do we have a picture? I think of we it? have a picture. And in another one, you can see the hills yeah. right behind us. So I'm thinking that's. I mean, it might not be, but that's the only rounded apartment type building I can see there. So yeah, the Portland Towers. So yeah. Um, yeah, the not Johnny Galecki guy goes and starts. He buys it all in cash and and starts to try to um, heist things, and that doesn't work. And then he gets a call about the Oaks Park July four robbery that's coming up to that, and that's the big set third act set piece. Yeah, and then all of a sudden they're robbing together again, and you didn't see them. Yeah, uh, so they have a minor little fight where Burt Reynolds is like, "I don't need anyone." Yeah, and then they're and then like, like they're happens. okay. Well, I guess we're together again. It happened off camera. It did. <laughs> it was on the back of the napkin. They never got around to it. So yeah, they they team up to do their final their final heist, which is at Oaks Bottom. Because every movie filmed in Portland, if you film a movie in Portland, it's in the contract you have to film a scene at Oaks Bottom. At yes, um, but they did it really well uh, because they show the actual skating rink and the organ player and the organ player. Um, and then there was a something there that I totally caught me off guard uh, i only caught today kind of rewatching. was there was a part of the rink where the floor is waving yeah it looked like it off to the side i wonder if that was there still too because i it's haven't spent a lot of time there but yeah Can okay you... that's at the far end huh uh, that must be just a little yeah. practice you area you can still or... ride over yep. it what oh yeah totally missed that yeah there's a little tiny hilly area off to the side that you can skate on oh that's cool yeah so they set this robbery up 
Burt Reynolds is talking uh, Casey Semesco, Michael J. Fox through through why he's because uh, he's like, well, why are we robbing a, a roller rink as they're skating around? And he's he said, well, on July 4, 20,000 people per day and it's on the weekend for five days will be coming through here. And then he says, it is a major event in the world of cash. <laughs> what? What's a major event in the world of cash? Like everyone's talking about how much money this roller rink makes on a July 4 in Portland. And that's a major event in the world of cash. <laughs> and, and I like how the this movie's logic uh, applied to uh, robberies is that you have to, there has to be some loud noise to cover up the robbery. Yeah. All times. Yeah. Every single time. So which is why he lives by the airport and why they're going to do this on July 4. He's like, we've been waiting for years for July 4 to fall on a weekend, which happens every seven years. <laughs> it's like, Technically, that's years. It's not that not that rare. I guess it would be. <laughs> uh, and that's when Mikey, I think they're, they're when they're roller skating around. Go ahead. Go, uh, is when because like I said, romantic comedy. Mikey says to Burt Reynolds, you take me to the coolest places as they're like roller skating together around in a circle talking about their plans for later. (laughs) So Oak's Bottom ends up being their last heist. And knowing that one of the characters at the end of the movie winds up in jail, you would think that, oh, there's going to be tension here. They're going to get caught. No, (laughs) no, no. Yet another successful heist. Not only was the safe, the big, huge safe open, but then, you know, the guards walked in, which was, again, should be compelling, but they're not. And they're not even talking about anything interesting. They're like, so you can have some potatoes later. Yeah. Like that was the conversation between the guards. And then not once do uh, does Burt Reynolds or Casey ever make a noise where they don't even <laughs> nope. turn around like, what was that? Nope. He just simply hides behind the safe. Hide, and then wait until the guards leave. Like, and... he, like he hid behind the snack machine at the bowling alley. How did he yeah, get there? I couldn't tell if he was hiding behind the snack machine or if or he had in it. put himself inside the snack machine and just waited until it closed. And then came out. <laughs> I did wonder too if he is he inside that snack machine. And then the rest of the day, when kids put the money in, he would have to hand them a drink, <laughs> like a Hanna Barbera cartoon. Yeah, I wrote. I literally wrote. There is zero tensions. The security guards don't see here or threaten them. Uh, and then they're like, "Oh, what's that noise above us?" And there's someone skating, like above them as they're breaking in. It's just a couple kids, and they ask them to leave, and, and they, the kids do. They do, yeah. <laughs> Every possibility for tension in this movie is wasted. It's just deflated. Yeah, immediately. Oh. <clears throat> so, and then let's talk about how, uh, so <laughs> Mike ends up in jail. And how does that happen? You know, d- does he get caught? No. Is there a police chase maybe through the city or an exciting action sequence? There no. is a chase, but uh, it's it's like speed walking. <laughs> It's kind of a slow meander of 40 cops casually walking towards him. Yeah. So the way I read it was um, he gets caught because when he buys his fancy new apartment, he pays in cash and some of the bills were dirty. No, those were the bills. um, So I forget how they tied him to his apartment building but those guys that go into the apartment building and find the cash are from the police not the and they find the cash that he burned from the bowling alley trying to break into that one they do that but why are the police going into his apartment to begin with and it's because apparently the landlord reported casey to the police because he was paying and everything in cash he had like five thousand dollars in cash right but why would you know why would he care? I don't know. He's getting the money. And I don't know. It's not like he was up late at night or making loud noises. He just, oh, this guy paid in cash. Let's call the police. <laughs> and he gave us an extra 500 when we just asked for it. Let's turn him in. Yeah. But he gets at the end um, after. So they rob they rob the place on July on the night of July 4 when the fireworks are going off so they couldn't hear the explosions. They put the money in. Instead of just taking the money away with them, they put the money in garbage bags. So that the next day, Casey Semesco, who has a job now, suddenly has a job working at the amusement park as a garbage collector, yeah. can put it onto the garbage truck and go to the 
the magical landfill. And let's wait until the truck makes it to the landfill and, and then, then pull the bags. Dig through the landfill and get our money. Completely unnecessary. So yeah, he and then he gets oh he gets caught after that, right? And then he because he's still at the park, right? He's at the park, and then by that point, the cops uh, had had uh, figured out, I guess, where he works now, and so they had like like you said, forty cops. <laughs> Um, are walk speed walking behind him as he's walking, and they eventually and speed just walking surround is pushing him. it a little bit. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a faster walk. It's not even as fast as speed walking, but they just all kind of enclose on him and and take him to to the police station. And then my interest in this movie is just waning for the rest of the film until at the end I not even paying attention the only thing point. that popped me up at the end was when it ended <laughs> when it ended when uh so they take casey Zemesco to jail uh and he gets a court-appointed lawyer who i was fascinated with because i don't think he learned any of his lines <laughs> it just seemed like he was it, like it, very improv 101 so you're in jail these and and then uh, veteran character actor yeah. Stephen Tobolowski showed up, which was pretty interesting. That his voice just kind of uh, was. Yeah, he had a lot more hair back then. Yeah, but unmistakable voice. Yeah, so he was pretty great as as the public prosecutor. I guess is what he was. Ned. <laughs> Ned Ryerson. <laughs> and then um, he gets. Convicted, oh, and then he confesses. Oh, Casey Zemesco. He confesses to everything, uh, like and even of... stuff that was Burt Reynolds's yep. fault because he apparently the more you the movie logic was the more you confess, the less time you'll do. Right, because the police like things to be neat and tidy, and as wrap... many cases as we can wrap up. And so yeah, he confessed to all that and gets thrown into jail. What was that place? He's locked up somewhere. It was a very, if it was a prison, it was a very small prison. It looked like a big condo building downtown that has like the tiny little postage stamp, you know, yard out back where you can put like one lawn chair. And there's like 10 inmates all crammed into this little weird, it's not gated. It's not, it just looks like a fenced in patio and they're all planting one tree, like this one tiny tree. It was so crazy. It was, it was the only place they could uh, get to film that looked remotely like a person. But yeah, even that tension is non-existent. He was not unhappy to confess. He wasn't coerced into it. He wasn't, he was more than happy to take all the blame for himself. Well, what we end up, uh, the, the kicker at the end of the movie is that we find out he, he likes jail and he wanted to be in jail. Yeah, and he felt bad for Burt Reynolds being a free man. Yeah, and... Uh, Hence the title of the movie, Breaking In to Jail. <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole goal. And that, yeah, that is as flat as the whole movie is. Like a series of things that might have been interesting that are not. And then talk about when the movie ended. We didn't even see it coming. It was just all of a sudden there was no movie anymore. <laughs> Because Burt Reynolds comes to jail to talk to him, and they get their own private room to talk into that. They have to be interrupted by the guard like, okay, you guys better be done in there having your private conversation in prison. And that was clearly the last scene of the movie that was filmed because by this point, Burt Reynolds was on to another project where he had to shave his mustache. He had no mustache. So they just had to explain that away. He's like, oh, you shaved your mustache. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I did. So the thing I wrote down, I took, I didn't take very many notes when we watched it all as a group. I just kind of took overarching notes. Like what is Mark Googling at this point? (laughs) And one of the things I had written, I wrote at the end of when I watched it the second time, I wrote, what, what are the characters journeys here? Did they grow or learn? Yeah. yeah, I, I brought that up when we were first watching There's no arc of anything. (laughs) Like there's no, there's no story arc really. Uh, there's events that happen, but <laughs> there's no like, related. But there's no like setup, tension, resolution. There, there's, I mean, there's he, none well, of that, and and we don't learn about the characters or care about them or or like have attention with them. And then there's a resolution. It's just a series of events. That are happen we, over 90 are minutes. we supposed to like these characters? So let's see That's where, when the movie started and where, when the movie ended, where are the characters? Okay, so uh, Casey um, was new to town, had a poor job, and uh, was breaking into houses and stealing people's food. Beginning of the movie, end of the movie, he's in jail. 
and he's perfectly happy with it. Yeah. He seemed happy with both. He, he was happy just breaking in and hanging out at people's houses with his job at the tire store. And then he seemed happy in jail as well. And Burt Reynolds, he's breaking into houses, stealing money at the beginning of the movie. And at the end of the movie, he's breaking into houses, stealing money and moving to Canada. Yeah. I mean, nothing changed or happened. <laughs> yes. But there is something that did make this movie worth it. So when they were, there's a scene where they're in a restaurant uh, with the with the two hookers. And so they're all sitting at a table and they decide to leave right before Burt Reynolds asked the Casey to go to the bathroom with him so he can do those weird exercises. And they linger there. There there's this jazz singer <laughs> and they kind of linger on the jazz singer. I don't know that I can quickly find it. Did here. you find out who he was? I, I was like, there is a reason that they're really lingering on this jazz singer guy. I wonder, you know, is he a, pay, a famous Portland person? So I Googled his name. And his name is uh, David Frischberg. He's listed in the credits. And he wrote the, he wrote two different things. He wrote the Golden Raspberry Award winner for worst song for the 1981 Burt Reynolds movie, um, Paternity. (laughs) And he wrote the music and lyrics to I'm Just a Bill. For Schoolhouse Rocks. What? Whoa. <laughs> Isn't that weird? The scat man. He, yeah, he's like a famous singer of, of, of some note, but not from Portland. He's like from Nashville or something like that. So I don't know why, if he was like with friends, maybe friends with the what? director. He is the writer for the music and lyrics of I'm Just a Bill. Wow. And the 1981 baby talk for Burt Reynolds parenting or paternity. Huh. Isn't that weird? And the other... The other bit of trivia that I that I found out was that do you guys remember the syndicated kids show that was on the same time as Small Wonder, which I bring up all the time, uh, Out of This World? It was about the girl that could stop time by Beep. putting her fingers yes. together. Wow. It used to run on Saturday mornings. I did not remember. Yeah. So I had a, a little abs- – low because that sh- uh, aired right before or what after. Was called? So it was called Out of This World. Okay. And like the her- premise of the show is that this kid, this teenage girl is an alien whose dad lives in space or whatever. And then she's, you know, a normal girl and she can has a couple of magical powers, but she can also stop time by pressing her fingers together. And there's a like a cube pyramid diamond thing that goes on her nightstand. And that's how she communicates with her father who lives in space. So her father does like the Jor-El, you know, Marlon Brando uh, narration and talks to him. The voice of that of... The dad is Burt Reynolds, uncredited what? for Out of This World. He was the voice of the little cube that talked to the girl in Out of This World. That's probably what he had to shave his mustache for. <laughs> <laughs> so that was super, that was super weird. What a connection. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to play the scat man, I think he sings oh, yeah, yeah. at 3150 timestamp. Okay. I was hoping it would be Tony Starlights or something. Oh, see, that would be uh, great. The girls go to the bathroom and he invites Casey to the bathroom. We gotta go to the bathroom. Huh? No, I'm okay. Uh, I had your kidneys and I conquered Europe. Come on. And then they all walk to the bathroom past the piano player here. And then they do like a full on just shot of still did he also vote do the vocals i don't for think he did. i don't no, think I was, he did the vocals for it he just, just did the music up. and lyrics some guy named jack sheldon sang yeah that. anyway but i could totally kind of you know it's his the bill song his style is, yeah. yeah yeah so that was that was super that was really random wow so that does it for <sighs> I feel so much better now that we got this out and uh, behind us and looking forward, we had to get through this. It did. And we all sat there. We're like, well, should we just do short episodes where when we watch terrible movies? It's like, no, we have to, we have to take it for the team. Now our reward is, is fatal revenge back up. here. We ate our broccoli fatal revenge is ours. And I think it fitting. I think we've unofficially started trying to collect something from, from every episode that we've done here. We've got the, the Dr. Giggles uh, comic book over there and the free Willy whale somewhere up there. And 
I think it's apt that we don't have anything for this one because it's so forgettable. <laughs> Bland. We meant we to. It would have been an interesting idea to have something, <laughs> but then we just didn't. We just never, <laughs> never formalized that. That never, never materialized. Right. I've got hemorrhoids from this movie. <laughs> ah, anyway. Well, that does it for the Breaking In episode. If you do want to watch it, uh, you can watch the whole thing on YouTube while it lasts up there. Um, I don't even think the person who posted it probably is even aware that it's there anymore. I wonder what the psychology of the person who uploads Breaking In to YouTube is. It's probably the director that uploaded it because he's like, maybe somebody will watch somebody it if I upload it. Oh, that did remind me. I did have a couple um, a couple quotes from some reviews here. And like like you said at the beginning of the movie, there was a lot of talking about the subtle irony, um, its ironic approach to burglary, all of this, the savvy screenplay, all of this stuff. And then there's a guy, I worked on this film. <laughs> I was the musical editor on Breaking In. And the working and working with Bill Forsyth, who was the director, was one of the highlights of my long career. Uh, so that was pretty funny that he worked on it. Um Oh, and I think, and so like we said, Robert e- Roger Ebert gave this uh, a a good a good rating, as did Siskel. It lost money, a lot of money. Oh, did it? So how much was it made for? Uh, made for six million. And okay. It, I think it made one point one. Wow. Wow. So those this are is my eighty nine dollars too. And those are eighty nine dollars. Yeah, that's at least twenty million dollars there. So uh, this review is. <laughs> Much like the movie, kind of boring, then has one really interesting part that is never talked about again and then just ends. So this review is from Zardoz13. The screenplay by John Sayles of Eight Men Out is literate, witty, and filled with irony. Um, Not the actual Eight Men Out, but for this movie. Breaking In is not a tentpole movie, but it's a very good movie about a collection of oddball characters told with warmth, humor, and class. This was Albert Salmi's last film before he committed suicide. What? Exactly. Uh. So apparently Albert Salmi was one of the old poker buddies. Uh. And the other guy who I kept looking for, because you see it in the credits, is uh, Harry, Harry Carey, who is not the Harry Carey that we maybe thought right. he was. So that was even even not exciting there. But um, I've got four movie posters that I found for this film, and they each have a tagline. I'm going to read these four taglines and you let me know if any of these uh, either describe what actually happened in the movie um, or it all relates to the movie. Okay. Okay. First poster. The last two guys you'd ever expect to get away with anything are about to get away with it all. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do the buzzer <laughs> unless Mark, you want to answer no, first. <laughs> no. I'd, <laughs> so Burt Reynolds is a seasoned thief. So we expect him to. Right. Uh, the other guy isn't, but he, they they never do, like, get he, away with it all. He decidedly does not get away one with them, it. Yeah, one of them is in jail. He goes to prison. Oh, my word. Wow. Okay, okay next poster. In their line of business, dressing for success means wearing a mask. Uh, Which they never do. They never wear, wear masks. Mask. Masks are never. They wear special overalls, but they never wear uh, burglar burglar masks. And they're not wearing masks in that poster in either. The bro- <laughs> uh, okay, he has the secret combination for larceny, loot, and laughter. I I <laughs> saw the larceny, loot, and laughter on a different poster. I technically there could be there is larceny and there is loot. And Burt Reynolds laughs at one point because I wrote it down to use as a reaction sound here on the Market Podcast. So technically, although there's not much laughter on the audience part, nor was I think it intended to. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't, I don't think, supposed to be like a lol fest comedy type movie. No. And then when it was released on DVD, this is what they chose to say to try and sell it to a new generation. An amateur thief. And a professional robber team up for an outrageous comic heist. None of that. It was neither outrageous comic. Well, like it was a heist. What was outrageous kind of. about it is that it was a big <laughs> event in the world of. Oh dang it! A big money in the, in the world of cash. I can't even remember the line right. It was a major event in the world of cash. 
Uh, anyway, I nice. sort of hated this movie. I was hoping that second time around, I would, like we all had gotten it wrong, but I, I can't say that I would recommend watching this. No. I'd say watch watch a uh, minute or two on, on YouTube. I can't even recommend. Usually on these types of movies, I can say it's interesting to see Portland. Yeah. But it just looks so much like they didn't do anything to make it look any different. So yeah. just go for right. a walk. It was interesting <laughs> to see the, the Pearl District before it had been Pearl changed. Pearl District or the, or the fruit place. Cornos. Yeah. Cornos. But then, yeah, I guess you can just Google Cornos, Cornos. and look at a picture of it. So, yeah, I think a hard pass then on, hard pass. on, on breaking in. But for next time... We will be looking at uh, 1983. Was that when this was? Uh, 89. Uh, no, this was no, 89. No, Fatal, Revenge. That's Fatal Revenge. That's 90. So no. one year apart. Yeah. That's I thought this was like solidly like 1982. No, no, no. That's 90. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, this go is going to be. Go ahead and read us the back, Todd. It's Claden just googling us. Bye. It goes on and on like that. And then Michael Land and Sonia Greenberg. <laughs> Which is pretty great. Yeah, so that uh, next time uh, we will be reviewing Fatal Revenge. And I'm hoping we kind of I kind of tangentially know someone that had mentioned uh, Fatal Revenge in a column he used to write uh, around here in Portland. So I'm hoping that maybe we can find a little bit extra information on that because it's already been an intriguing journey to get to Fatal Revenge. Well, any last any last thoughts? Let's be done. Let's be done with breaking in. All right. There's another episode of Portland at the Movies. You can hear us on Fun Employment Radio as well as at portlandatthemovies.com and facebook.com slash portlandatthemovies. Get a hold of us on Facebook. Um, where can we find out more about you, Brian? Uh, please check me out at unipiper.com and uh, let us know what you think about the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, give Yeah, give us some good feedback. Rate us on iTunes, which you can also find us. Mark, where, we can, where can we find more about you? <laughs> uh, you can go to uh, the Mark and Toddcast and uh, learn about the Mark and Toddcast. I thought you were going to plug your is Mark it, your MarkMiddleton.com. What, what is, is it, MarkMiddleton.com? Party at Mark's. Party at Mark's.com. Yes, go it visit. It redirects to the, <laughs> the birthday page All right, on well, Facebook. Go visit that. Um, other than that, you can uh, hear, yeah, both me and Mark on the Mark and Toddcast over at MarkandToddcast.com. Um, other than that, we will see you guys next time. Awesome. Fatal revenge. Fatal revenge. I cannot believe this is from almost 1990.